Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Caught at the 20. Racing near sideline 10. Turn of the 5. Touchdown Raiders. The crowd applauds because Las Vegas just win, baby. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. As we kick off hour number two of the show, we got a text from Trey and KC on our don'tbebroke.com text line, 69187, keyword R&R. Q, that game at Arrowhead is not fun. Unless fighting with drunk, entitled Chiefs fans is your idea of fun. Well, come to think of it, you're right, it is fun, but dangerous. Again, as Trey and KC, he's responded to my question, what games intrigue you the most on the schedule when it's released? What do you pay attention to the most? You can hit us up at any time at 69187, keyword r Again, that's the don'tbebroke.com text line. And the phone lines when we don't have a guest at 702-365-9200. But speaking of guests, we have one right now, our good friend Nathan Cooper, sportsinfosolutions.com, S-I-S at Draft. And Nathan, thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate you as always. And we talked to you during the ramp-up throughout the draft process leading to this past draft. And wanted to talk to you about an article that I saw that you were a part of and put out on SIS about grading the 2020 draft class. And so before we deep dive into that actual draft class, what were the, you know, the kind of the criteria that you're looking for and that you guys were putting together as you put this piece together? Yeah, I appreciate you having me again, Q. Uh, obviously, whenever we're looking at, uh, you know, grading and ranking the, the draft classes for us, when we, uh, you know, kind of grade, we do more of like a ranking classes. We're not giving out A's and B's and stuff like that. Uh, we're doing a ranking based pretty much solely on our grades. Uh, so you're going through looking at our grades, and then whenever you get to the, the process where now, you know, we're three years down the road uh, looking at that 2020 draft class, uh, and we're basically pulling total points. This is our player value metric, using that as kind of a basis and basically looking at how many total points did you get from your entire draft class, divide that by the number of selections your team had, uh, and then basically you're also getting a little bit of a bump for all the players that you hit on, which is essentially – uh, a player who was above average at that position uh, throughout that draft class. So uh, looking at all that, then that sort of gets you into uh, the total point score that I came up with uh, and allows you to, to rank all the teams. Would you say that it takes about three seasons to be able to come up with a real good ranking of these draft classes? Yeah, at least three. Uh, obviously for us, uh, you know, the 2019 season, that was the first year we really started scouting. Uh, we had the football rookie handbook out. Uh, for the first time. Uh, so this 2020 class was actually the second year that we were doing this. Uh, so last year I, I kind of wrote this same article and, and felt like after three years you can sort of start to finally see what you have in your draft, uh, you know, your draft class. It, obviously everybody loves to rank and grade uh, as soon as the draft ends, uh, you know, us included. Um, but, you know, in order to actually look and evaluate the class, uh, I would say at least three years for sure. How much would you say that the kind of grades or rankings that you gave initially after the 2020 uh, draft was was done and where they are today, how much different would you say that rankings are now? Uh, some teams are definitely different. There's a few teams that are close. Uh, obviously, when we were talking about the Raiders, we actually ranked that class uh, as the number eight class right, you know, right after the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at, obviously, Rugg being up there, we were pretty high on John Simpson, Amik Robertson, guys like that. Um, but now whenever you're looking at three years down the road, you're looking at the number 31 draft class in terms of what value they got out of the class. 
Right. I mean, there's only one player left, Amik Robertson, right? He's the only <laughs> one left. So, so when you get that kind of situation, and Henry Ruggs, we know that that was a, a certain different type of situation, but the other first-round pick that they had, Damon Arnett, nobody, nobody saw that coming, and they picked him anywhere in the first round. How big of a, I don't want to say red flag that was, but how big of a shock was that when that, that pick was made? For us, definitely a shock. We had him as our number nine corner, uh, and over the last three years, he's only he's accumulated negative total points. So obviously, that's a pretty big hit. I've right. only played thirteen games as well, um, but yeah, definitely was a huge shock for us. Um, with you know Lynn Bowden, Brian uh, Edwards, uh, those guys, those guys were kind of for, further down our list in terms of receivers as well. Uh, like I said, John Simpson and Amik Robertson, big big grabs late. Uh, and honestly, when you look at the total points number. This draft class had 94 total points uh, over the last three years, 71 of them from Simpson and Robertson. So uh, definitely whenever you're getting that, that sort of production late in your draft class, it's good. But whenever the majority of the production is, uh, is from that, it's uh, definitely going to hurt the, uh, the overall score. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it just kind of lets you know that no matter how good it might look right after the draft, it doesn't necessarily end up being that three years down the line. Again, Nathan Cooper, SportsInfoSolutions.com is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, I've got to ask, when it comes to the total points that players accrued, how heavily favored was this system towards quarterbacks? Because the top four guys are all, you know, the best guys, the quarterbacks from that draft, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and Tua Tungvaloa. Absolutely, yeah. Total points obviously is going to uh, weigh heavily towards quarterbacks. Quarterback is the most, uh, you know, most valuable position. Um, so their ability to either be very good for your team or very bad for your team is obviously a lot higher than a lot of other positions. So yeah, you look at the uh, the number of total points just in the draft class alone. Uh, like you said, the four quarterbacks right there, they're at the top. Um, so it's almost always going to be like that, especially for, uh, you know, your high-end quarterback. So Herbert's 432 total points was third in the entire league behind uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Uh, so obviously if you're getting that production, that's going to skew the number a little bit. Um, but that's sort of why I go through and I'm, I'm dispersing the total points number from the entire class throughout the entire class. So, you know, obviously J- Justin Herbert's a big uh, part of that Chargers draft class, and it just so happens to be that even with him and everybody else, the Chargers did get the number one class over the last three years. Um, but it's not going to always be that case because I'm trying to say, hey, did you get the, not just the best person, but did you get the entire class, um, you know, the best class overall? And obviously quarterbacks are going to be a huge part of that. You know, you have Chargers number one, Burrow at, with the uh, Bengals number two, uh, and then sort of disperses a little bit from there. But, uh, yeah, quarterback, most valuable position on the field, and that's going to um, definitely weigh heavily with the total points number as well. And then when it comes to the total points, obviously we know quarterback the most important position. But in your research, what have you seen that a teams have hitting on this pick or this position, excuse me, this position more likely than not? Yeah, with, uh, with quarterbacks, obviously if you're, if you're hitting, you're getting tons of value. You know, like you just talked about, Herbert, Burrow, Hurts, uh, Tua, all these guys playing huge parts with their, uh, with their teams over the last few years. If you miss on quarterbacks, it severely sets you back. You know, looking back, uh, you know, last year I was looking at Will Greer and uh, Ryan Finley, a couple of mid-round guys, and they had negative total points, which basically, you know, you're hurting your team essentially. If you're not out there, there's a better chance of, of the team winning. Uh, you know, if, if you're not the one on the field. So um, obviously, if you're uh, a dominant player at the quarterback position, really is going to help you a ton in terms of uh, how valuable you are, and then obviously that's going to translate into wins as well. Uh, but if you're taking one of these guys 
uh, and is, is really severely hurting your team, uh, that's, that's one of those situations that's really going to set your team back. Nathan Cooper is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So through all your research and the pieces that you've been putting out, who are the teams that you see that are consistently, at least as I've been saying, solid, right? They don't have to be uh, home runs every time, but still solid classes each and every year. Yeah, for us, we saw that uh, you know the Panthers and the Eagles are probably the two teams that are at the top, uh, you know, the most often. Uh, you look throughout the the last five years; those are the teams that you're seeing that you know over the last five years you're seeing the higher grades, the higher ranks. Um, and, and obviously, you know, with the Panthers, you can kind of go. You know, they just had the number one pick this year. They're just, they're taking the the top one of the top players available. Um, but then you look at the Eagles. The Eagles just consistently bringing in talent. Maybe they're not playing right away, but these these guys that are obviously graded really high on a lot of people's boards, uh, they're getting them, you know, in the first round, but they're also getting them throughout the second, the third, the fourth round as well. So uh, and obviously with a team like the Eagles, they have the ability, um, they can afford to you know, take these guys, let them sit for a little while, let them develop, uh, and kind of move from there. But those are two teams that I kind of noticed that, uh, are really doing a pretty solid job of, of getting the talent over the last few years. You know, when it comes to the Eagles, what Howie Roseman does is is really attack the trenches, right? And we've seen him a lot in the defensive line and even go and attack Georgia players. So going back to kind of DeMond's question about a certain position, uh, is it is it, I don't want to say easier to, to get it right when it comes to the defensive line as opposed to other positions, but have you noticed it seems like more success has been coming from the trenches than than other positions outside of the trenches? Yeah, I think, I mean, whenever you watch football games, everything starts from, you know, the offensive and defensive lines. Everything starts and ends at the trenches. Um, so, yeah, I think what Howie's doing is definitely playing smart and trying to beef that up, you know, trying to play for not just this year, but also two, three, four years down the road. Um, and just the way that at least, you know, even when you watch the Eagles, at least what they do on that defensive line, they rotate so many guys through. Uh, it's not like the same two or three guys are playing the entirety of the game. Um, so whenever you're bringing these guys in, you have that ability to, to rotate, you know, five, six, seven, eight guys through every single game and get these guys, uh, you know, a little bit of experience before really throwing them in the fire. So, yeah, when you look at the trenches, obviously those guys are going to help uh, in terms of the pass rush uh, on the defensive side. On the offensive side, you're helping to protect the quarterback. Uh, so everything's going to start and end there. And, and obviously if you're going to hit guys, uh, it, it definitely helps, uh, you know, really all the way around. Something that I've got to ask you about is when it comes to teams not so much getting the best player but having a better overall draft because when Q told us we were having you on and what we were going to be talking about, my first thought was the Vikings must have hit it out of the park. Justin Jefferson's the best player in this <laughs> draft, hands down to me. And then I look at the actual scores and they're about middle of the pack. Uh, I think it's 17th. So what do you, th- do you think um, from your research should be that fine line between teams hitting that home run player but not actually having the depth in the draft? Yeah, I think for the Vikings, it was just sort of unfortunate situation. They had 15 picks. So whenever you're talking about taking a ton of total points and dispersing it through their draft, you have to look there, you know, 15 picks, that's a lot of total points that you have to disperse through there. Um, and, you know, for the most part, when you're drafting 15 guys, not all 15 of those guys are probably going to be playing as well. Um, so, you know, with it's not a perfect science. Whenever you're looking at that, obviously Justin Jefferson was huge. He had the fifth most total points. Uh, of the entire draft class, uh, obviously behind those those four quarterbacks. Um, but it, it's going to be a little bit of a detriment if you have a ton of picks. Um, just the way that, that we are going to look at things, especially right after the draft as well, um, you know, we're trying to say, what are you getting through the entirety of the draft class? So if you have a lot of picks, you're most likely going to be picking a lot later in the draft, which is at that point 
not taking the high-end guys that you would earlier in the draft. Uh, and then whenever you get to this situation, there's probably not going to be a ton of total points going around because most of those guys probably either one aren't on the team anymore or two, they're not even in the league anymore. So yeah, definitely uh, uh, hurt them a little bit, but yeah, looking at, at Justin Jefferson, he's definitely a difference maker and, and has been huge for them the last three years. Nathan Cooper, SportsInfoSolutions.com is our guest here on Red Nation Radio 920 Necessary Roughness. Just got a couple more questions for you. I know that there's no pick that is a safe pick, but we talked about the trenches. Where would you kind of line up the cornerback position as far as, I don't want to say, again, safe pick, I don't want to use that term, but just where how, how difficult is it to pick a, a corner, especially early in the draft, and really hit on that guy? It's tough. I mean, looking at the last few years, uh, I mean, you can look at like a, a Jeff Lacuda, and then obviously, you know, we just talked about Damon Arnett, even though we were a little bit lower on, on him. Hmm. Um, it seems like corner is just one of those positions that it's just there's a bigger learning curve. Um, you know, for one reason or another, it could also be scheme. It could also be, you know, the, the team situation that they get drafted into. Uh, it, it just seems like it, it's, it's a tough pick. Uh, it seems like the guys that maybe not all of the first-round picks, but especially the guys – that are going in the top 10, the top 15. Um, I think there was a little bit of a notion there, especially with the Okuda pick to the Lions. Uh, you know, do we take a corner that high? Uh, but then obviously you look at last year, you look at a Derek Stingley, a, a Sauce Gardner, and these guys are coming in uh, and dominating in the league. So I think some of it is situation. Some of it's going to be kind of a, a case-by-case individual basis as well. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those positions that I feel like there's probably a little bit more of a bigger learning curve, uh, you know, from the college level to the NFL level. This one here is a two-parter. When it comes to the research that you've seen from this draft, obviously the Chargers, due to the production of Justin Herbert, they were number one. But what is the realistic number that a team could hope to, let's say starters from a draft, or maybe not even starters, just guys that are still producing on their team after three years? What do you think that ideal number is? Yeah, when you're looking at at, uh, at total points, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, obviously just trying to pull out as much value as you can. So that's one of the things, whenever you're looking through to see, uh, you know, some of these, these positions you're looking through and, and who is, you're trying to find the hits. Like these guys have, pr- pr- uh, you know, gone through these last three years and uh, produced at an above average rate. So I think trying to find something like that is definitely huge. Uh, and whenever you're looking through that 2020 draft class in terms of uh, some of the better positions, obviously the quarterback class is a little bit skewed. You're looking at at least 83 total points, but you have those four guys that are just, you know, blowing everyone else out of the water. Um, but another, uh, you know, a couple other positions, you look at O-line and then even the DBs, they're in that like 25 to 30 range. Uh, so you're getting, getting a good value there, uh, you know, in terms of, of the players and, and trying to get enough value out of these guys over a three-year period to, uh, to t- technically be a hit uh, for what you're getting in the draft class. Nathan, we'll close out with this. Wanted to get your thoughts on, I mean, the Raiders just wrapped up, well, everybody just wrapped up their 2023 uh, NFL draft class. What are your early thoughts on what the Raiders were able to do in the draft class? Yeah, we ranked them at 14, uh, so kind of the middle of the class right now. Obviously, you know, Tyree Wilson, Michael Mayer, two big-time guys uh, up at the top there. Uh, Mayer, our number one tight end. Wilson was our number uh, number three edge. Um, Ja'Cory and Bennett was actually in our top 100 as well, so uh, ended up getting three top 100 guys, which was huge. Uh, Byron Young, Trey Tucker, a little earlier than our grades would have suggested. Um, but for me, I like Christopher, Christopher Smith late. Uh, and then Nessa J. Silvera, I think, was a, a great pick in the seventh round. For me, I think that he's a guy that if he develops properly uh, and, and kind of refines some of his te- technical aspects, 
Uh, I think by year two, he's probably at least a starting rundown player uh, with the eventual uh, ability to maybe even be a three-down starter. So uh, I'm a big fan of him, and I think throughout the – Throughout the draft class, I, I think they did a pretty solid job. I'll tell you right now, solid is the way I've been describing the draft class. Just again, just from the naked eye, just from seeing it from a distance. 14 is not bad out of 32, right? I mean, especially when, I mean, you go back to 2020 class. What is it now? What do you has, has, guys have it ranked at? Yeah, we had him at eight. Now that's 31. So Yeah, there you <laughs> go, 31. <laughs> so uh, I'll take 14 every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Nathan, great stuff, man. I mean, again, checking out that piece, grading the 2020 NFL draft class, evaluating a draft class takes time. It's much easier to get a sense of how a team fared if we look back at their class from three years ago. We do that in this piece. Really good stuff that you put out there, sportsinfosolutions.com. What else are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, in the offseason, not really a whole lot going on, getting ready for next year. Uh, obviously, <laughs> really getting the uh, the draft class ready for next year already, trying to, to get some guys on the radar, uh, and obviously still uh, going through and, and getting some uh, some things out there for uh, you know, people coming on and helping us out next year. So, uh, you know, right now we're going through and, and trying to, to update and enhance everything that we're doing and, and get ready for uh, the 2023 season. Well, good job. Great job on the piece, man. Thanks for making some time for us this afternoon. We definitely appreciate you. Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys having me. No doubt. There he goes. Nathan Cooper again from uh, sportsinfosolutions.com, S-I-S as we like to call it, at Draft on Twitter. Check him out today. Uh, real intriguing stuff. And, again, you cannot get a good idea of a draft class until a couple seasons have gone by. And think about this, Damon. They had the Raiders ranked at eighth. Their class was eighth after the draft got wrapped up, and now it's sitting there at 31, and only Amik Robertson is left. On the twenty on the on the roster from twenty twenty, that was just a couple seasons ago. And also, the team that's you could say who was worse than the Raiders? They have the Jets, but it also can go to show what a good draft class yeah. can do for you because we're all looking at them last year. It's like, hey, they they absolutely knocked it out of the park. So it just shows a bad draft. Maybe it can set you back a little bit, but how good, how fast you can be right back in the game with a good one. Just got to turn it around with a good one. Consistently get some good ones. Again, solid class. If they end up with a 14 right now and they end up around a 14 from two or three years from now, I think that that's a win, right? I know it's not a home run. I know it's not sexy where everyone's going to be excited about it, but at least if you're getting solid players, I feel like that that's a win. 319 is the time, 702-365-9200. Also, 69187, keyword R&R, the text line. What games, when it comes to the schedule, intrigue you the most when it's released? Of course, we'll get the full meal deal tomorrow. What do you pay attention to when it's dropped? Let us know about it. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Many thanks to Nate Cooper, sportsinfosolutions.com. Coming up in a few minutes, Ted Wynn from The Athletic. Will join us to talk about first round pick Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech, how he can improve just his technique and, and what he's doing in the NFL game and how he was able to produce at a pretty high level, even though a lot of it came off of natural athleticism. So we'll talk to Ted about that, a piece he put out on The Athletic coming up around 3.30. Threw the question out there about games that most intrigue you when it comes to the schedule. Like, what are you looking for? What stands out to you the most? And, you know, one of the questions that I have, and we'll find out the the story behind it, you know, at least tomorrow at the very latest when it comes out, when the schedule comes out, we'll find out who the Chiefs play on that very first game of the season. And Vinny Bonsignor on the morning tailgate this morning said, you know, I feel like there's a good chance that the, the league might set up the Raiders and Chiefs to play that Thursday night game as a season opener. And I thought that'd be great. Cool. Fantastic. Got a text from the 626. Q, you must have bumped your head. Don't you remember ring around the Rosies at Allegiant for the final game? What's next on a nationally televised game? Duck, duck, goose. I'll pass. I'm still angry about that. Go Raiders. And I'll 
counter that argument and say, even more reason to get back on the field and play him. You know what I'm saying? Like, are you going to run from him? They did the ring around the Rosies. They tried something new out, right? And it's funny, when I started in radio, when I was doing music radio, I started out doing overnights. You know what that is? Midnight to six, a.k.a. you try stuff out that you don't know if you can pull off between midnight and six because nobody's, nobody's going to hold you accountable for it. So if you mess it up, like I'd get tricky with a, a phone call or something, I'd be like, ah, that didn't work well. That wasn't a very good intro. I won't do that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because I don't want to be embarrassed. So you try stuff out. So you know what? The Raiders should take that as, a, as what did Michael Jordan say? And I found that to be disrespectful. I took that personal. You should take it personal if you're the Raiders. If you're wearing that jersey, you should take that ring around the rosies personal. Okay. Hand, hand it back to him. Right? Put a little something in your neck and go into Arrowhead and give them the business on, on, on the day that they celebrate the championship. Even more reason to go. I also, mean, yeah, might steal one. That's you, how I'm thinking about it. You still got to play them twice a year. Might as well get it out the way. On the road, handle it first week. Go in and steal one because I, I know it's like the ring ceremony. Yeah. They might be so high on their own supply. Man, come out, you boom, ain't lying. boom. Exactly. Quick couple of touchdowns. They got to say, oh, man, we got we to actually play this game now. And how close was the game last year in Arrowhead? It wasn't close at, at Allegiant, no doubt. But in Arrowhead, it was close. Week five, we all remember it. Right? Raiders should have probably at least tied that game. I don't know if they would have won in overtime or if they could have even stopped them before uh, regulation, but they should have at least tied. That was a Josh McDaniels issue. And I'll, I'll say that, and I have no problem saying that. I remember questioning right after that, on, on that Monday at the, at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Any, any thought of just kicking an extra point and tying the game? He didn't want to do it. I thought it was a bad decision, but I'm not the coach. He is. Okay, so be it. I say get it out the way. The weather's good. You're not there in bad conditions. Now, it might be a little hot, but who cares? Hot in Kansas City, you're from Vegas. That's all you know is heat. You're good. I think it's an ideal situation. And like you said, they're on their high because they're celebrating their, their championship. More times than not, you go back and look at the history of the league, and that's really with all sports. Those teams that are celebrating and doing their ring ceremony and raising the banners and all that good stuff, how many times did they lose that opening game? I'll take that. That'd be You want to talk about a hell of a way to start the season. Start off with Kansas City on the road and get a dub. I'd rather the Raiders play them in week one than play them coming off the bye. Oh, man. <laughs> and I don't mean the Raiders' bye. Yes. I mean their bye. You don't win that game. Ain't winning that game. I feel like there was a conspiracy, not this past season, but the season before, is that the, the, the Raiders always have to play the Chiefs coming off of their bye. It feels like it all the time. <laughs> and it's a, non, it's a non-win situation. It really is. Like, when the schedule drops, that's something I'll be looking for. I'll look at the Raiders' schedule, and then I'll look at the Chiefs' schedule. All right, when do the Raiders play the Chiefs? When do they play them? When is, when is the Chiefs' bye? Because, man, it feels like they play them coming off the bye all the time. And I'm sorry, that's just not winnable. It's not a winnable game. Andy, and Andy Reid's got some crazy record off the bye. He don't lose coming off the bye. It's one of those things. So I'd much rather see the Raiders play them week one in Arrowhead, on Thursday night while they're up there celebrating and dancing and whatever they were going to do, fine. Like Trey in Kansas City said, a bunch of belligerent, drunk Kansas City fans, fine. Take that. Go in there and kick them in the mouth. Opening day, that'd be great. I'm with it. 328 is the time. Thank you for that text, though. We do appreciate you. 328 is the time. Ted Wynn from The Athletic joins us next. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Time again in the pocket. Now steps up, now thrown down. That's Tyree Wilson, 6'6", 275. On third down, Leary steps up. Down he goes. That's Tyree Wilson, his second sack. 
Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. You heard a couple highlights right there from Raiders' first round pick, number seven overall at a Texas Tech defensive end, Tyree Wilson, our guy Ted Wynn from The Athletic, who joins us now on the phone lines, put a piece out where Raiders' Tyree Wilson must improve to reach sky-high potential. And, Ted, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We definitely appreciate you. And when you looked at Tyree Wilson and what he was able to do in Texas Tech and his collegiate career, most of that came off of, from your article, based off his athleticism and just natural ability. How much better do you think Tyree Wilson could get with a little bit of coaching? I, I think it's still sky-high. I mean, you know, like I said, he, um, he, he was extremely productive with, you know, just playing with very little technique. You know, you see him coming off the ball high. He was very often late out of his stance and off of the snap. And he was still able to be one of the most productive players against the run and pass. And I think all the things that we talked about are correctable. And I think, you know, with, this, with some time in NFL, with some uh, better defensive coaching, I think he could you know, perfect these little things and really uh, fulfill his potential and become an even better player. When you study his film and you kind of look at what he was able to do, and I know you sat down with someone else and kind of was breaking down the film as well, uh, did you see a natural fit at a certain position? Because we've heard that he's versatile, could play inside and also play outside. Yeah, he, he did play a lot of um, four technique or head up on a tackle in an odd front defense. And, you know, I, I think he can play that position, but just based on what I saw on film, um, I, I think, you know, when you're playing inside, things happen so much quicker. You know, you have to be able to fire off low. You have to have quick hands. Um, and I think those are the things that he has to work on. So I, I think if he were to play inside, um, I, I think that, you know, his technique has to be even better, even quicker. Uh, but I can't see him playing inside and rushing from the inside early on. And I, I, I think he would be best on games where he, you know, he's able to slant inside, create space, um, you know, really use his quickness uh, w- with those D-line games. Uh, but just as a straight-up inside player, I-, I think it's going to be difficult for him to make that transition right away. I, I-, I think you know, he'd be better off on the edge where he has a little bit more space to work with unless he could really sharpen up his technique quickly and uh, before the season starts. Talking, right, talking all things Tyree Wilson right now with Ted Wynn from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio at 920. Necessary roughness. DeMond's got one for you. When it comes to defensive linemen, especially coming off the edge, we always hear about the different moves that guys have. From your time of watching the film with Tyreek Wilson, what do you think is the best move that he has? Um, I think he has a little – he has a good array of moves, but I don't think he's quite perfected everything yet and really put together everything in a cohesive pass rush plan. But I think, you know, his bull rush is obviously what he has best right now. Um, but I think what he really needs to hone in on is his long-arm technique. And, uh, you know, if, if you're a Raider fan for a long time, you watch Khalil Mack, you know what the long arm is. It's his favorite move where he stabs the inside chest plate of the blocker with his inside arm and really bow out at his shoulder. So he's using the length of his arm and the shoulder and just pushing the tackle back with, with that length. And uh, one, one of the great things about Tyree Wilson, Wilson is his length. He has 35 five-eighth-inch arms, which is like a 96th percentile, but he still doesn't really know how to use that length yet. So I, I think really perfecting using that long arm and just maximizing his length, um, that's going to be the basis of all his pass rush moves. So once he gets that down, he can add counters to that, but he really needs to make make sure he gets he, he really perfects that move because I think, you know, in college he tried to use that move at times and, and you know, at times he wasn't able to, like, quite get his punch down or, extend out all the way and he was still so strong that he was able to just kind of burrow the shoulder into 
tackles and, and still push them back. And in the article, I have a few examples of him doing that. But he's not going to be able to do that in the NFL. In the NFL, he's really going to have to take advantage of his length, and um, that's going to come with perfecting that move and then adding counters to that move. Yeah, that kind of goes to what I wanted to ask next about. One of the best traits that you said he had was translating speed to power. Just how much of a top-end athlete is he when it comes to is that going to be tr- be able to translate at the NFL level? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't, we don't have testing numbers to really tell us how elite of an athlete he is. We have to kind of use the eye test uh, because he had a foot injury that, you know, one of the reasons why he dropped in the draft is because he is healing from a Liz Frank injury in his foot, and that did scare off some teams and other teams like the Raiders saw it as a minor risk. Uh, so, but because of that injury, he wasn't able to test the combine. Um, and, and those, you know, some people want to brush off testing numbers, but they are pretty big for edge rushers, especially where athleticism is so important. Um, so we weren't able to see those numbers, but just off of the film, you can see how fast he is, how explosive he is, um, you know, how, especially when he's chasing down plays. Um, you know, you see him just in a two-point stance, and then when a running back goes away, he's able to just explode and catch those running backs. So there you can kind of see a glimpse of how explosive he, he is. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't see the testing numbers. And just based on watching him and how he's able to make these plays, without great technique kind of tells you what, what kind of athlete he is. Again, we're talking with Ted Wynn for The Athletic. We're talking about Tyree Wilson here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I know you were sitting down with Ryan Osborne. He was a defensive assistant with the Ravens and then became a defensive coordinator for Charlotte. How concerned about the foot injury was Ryan when kind of studying film and, and thinking about Tyree on the next level? Yeah, we, we didn't talk about the foot injury too much. I don't think he had too much inside information on the foot injury, but I have talked to other coaches for other teams that were, you know, some coaches were a lot more concerned about that foot injury than others. So I, I think there were varying opinions about it um, throughout the league. Uh, but obviously there were teams and the Raiders, one of those teams that thought the foot injury was a minor risk. And, um, and uh, Wilson himself said he'll be ready by training camp. You know, we talk about how much he can get better with good coaching and, you know, just kind of getting trained up and learning some technique. How much better do you think he can get with uh, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones on the team as well? Kind of help, you know, tutor him along as a young guy. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be huge because one of the things that, you know, me and Osborne talked about was block recognition, being able to recognize what the blocker in front of you is going to do based on what angle he comes off at the ball at and then reacting to those types of, types of blocks and, that's one thing that Max Crosby really has perfected throughout the years is just recognizing what block he's getting and quickly reacting to it. Um, so I think just being able to tutor him uh, with block recognition and the, the comparison that a lot of people make for Wilson is Chandler Jones. So just you know a guy that's long and be able to use that length and technique and explosiveness, uh, teaching him how to do it, I think it's going to be huge for his development. Yeah, that's going to lead into my, per- my next question perfectly there. Where I said I was going to ask the person or the player that you think that if you look at the film, this is the best comp for what he could be if he reaches his full potential at the next level. Is Chandler Jones that person? Yeah, I think, you know, for for a ceiling type of comp, um, Chandler Jones would be that guy. I think he's even bigger than Chandler Jones, and I think there is potential for him to kick down inside and be kind of that uh, four-tech defensive end. So, you know, if he were to do that and – um, you know, make that his spot. You know, maybe Ar- Eric Armstead is that is that guy. I, I think I really think Wilson is pretty unique. He is like Chandler in the fact that he is very long, but he's also stronger than Chandler, a little bigger than Chandler. So if you know, I think there is a chance that he does kick inside if he wants to. 
to me, I think his best spot is an edge. Uh, so if he were to stay on the edge, Chandler would be that, that comp for him. After a year of seeing Patrick Graham's defense with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones on the edge, how much of the run defense do you think was on the pressure to stop it to be on, like the edge? How, how much of a responsibility was them to contain the run? Uh, to me, I, I think you know, the bigger problems with containing the run ha- happened inside with the interior defense. Um, so, you know, they added guys like Brian Young that could help in, in, in that department. Um, so I, I think that's where they really need to get better. I don't, I don't think Chandler and Max Crosby were weak against the run. I think Crosby actually was one of the best edge, rush, uh, edge defenders against the run in the league. So um, I, I think they're going to have to improve inside. And, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if Tyree Wilson is, you know, I, I, don't think it's te- I don't know if his technique is good enough just to kick him in inside and just have him uh, play the run inside full time like that. Um, I, I think they have other players that they acquired that they hope could bolster themselves inside. But I don't know if Tyree Wilson is the answer for um, interior run defense. So we get the schedule, the full meal deal schedule starting tomorrow, and so we'll find out when that first game of the season is. Do you expect Tyree Wilson to be a guy that is brought along slowly, or do you think that he can you know, at least hop on on the outside and maybe, I don't want to say replace Chandler Jones, but be in that void and then have Chandler Jones come in almost as like a third-down specialist and just pin his ears back and get to the quarterback? I know Raider fans are, are not going to like this answer, but I think he'll be brought along slowly okay. because especially with that foot injury, um, like I said, I don't, I don't think he's ready to be a full-time inside guy just yet. Um, and I don't think the Raiders want him to be a full-time in, inside guy. So um, I think he's going to start behind Crosby and, and Jones. I think he is going to get playing time. He's going to get rotated inside. I think in pass rush situations, he'll – uh, they'll have all three players playing at the same time. So he will get playing time, uh, but I think it's going to be a slow process. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to be uh, – you know, I don't think he's going to replace Jones right off the bat and then make Jones a third rusher. Um, and I think when you make this kind of draft pick, you're making it for who he can be in the next few years rather than who he can be right away. Again, we're talking with Ted Wynn from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness. I did want to ask you a quick question about Max Crosby. He played almost 1,100 snaps in 2022. How much more effective can he be? Like, what's an ideal number, you think, for around the snaps he should really be taking to be more effective, especially later on in games when they need someone to close out? I think, I think Crosby does such a great job of uh, conditioning himself that, you know, he, he can play all those snaps, but obviously you don't want that to be a long-term thing. And part of the reason why you draft Wilson is because you want to build a defensive line. You want to be like the Niners and the Eagles where they can just send waves at you and keep their guys fresh. So I don't know what the exact number is. But, uh, you know, maybe around uh, if you cut those snaps down maybe by 10 15%, you know, that will keep Crosby a lot fresher. And, you know, it, it's going to be more than just adding Tyree Wilson. You're going to have to add more to that defensive line so that you can send waves at the uh, offense instead of having this guy play so many – snaps and kind of wear down as the season goes. You mentioned how Tyree Wilson, this may be more of a project and Raider fans don't want to hear that, that he'll be a good player in two to three years. Do you think that that's the approach that they took with all of the players on the defensive end of this draft of guys that maybe they aren't going to be ready to contribute day one, but they are going to be guys that they're hoping to hit on maybe in year two or year three? Um, You know, I think maybe Brian Young could be a guy that will get in the rotation early um, and I, I'm blanking on the safety that they drafted uh, his, Chris his Smith. name right now. Yeah, Chris Smith. Uh, Chris Smith is the type of player that um, if he, you know, he he, was, he wasn't drafted he wasn't drafted high because of his physical ability. 
but he has the smarts and instincts to play. But you'll know right away if he's able to hang in the NFL with his athleticism because he's so smart. So if you know he can hang in the NFL with his size and speed, um, he's going to be able to play contribute right away. I did. Uh, but other than that, you know, oh, sorry, say that. Oh go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, like if he were able to be able to play, we'll, we'll know right away. Um, it, it just depends on whether he could hang, you know, with the speed and size of the NFL just because he's a little undersized and he didn't test very well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, final question for you, I wanted to ask you about Ja'Korian Bennett kind of for the same reasons, right? He was a guy who was very productive at Maryland. He had five interceptions, 27 pass breakups the last couple years. A little undersized. Uh, do you think he's a guy that will kind of be brought along slowly as well, or do you think that he has an opportunity to maybe go earn him a spot in training camp? Yeah, I, I didn't watch him a ton, so I don't have a great take on him just yet. But based on what I've read from people I respect, he seems like a guy that needs to work on his technique. Like he has things you can't teach, like athleticism and ball skills, but uh, he has to work on his technique. So I, I think that's a guy that is not going to start right away, but you could potentially see a payoff in the, in a year or two. There you go. Well, that's a good little background right there. I like the breakdown of Tyree Wilson as well. I think that was really good for Raider Nation to hear as Ted Wynn from The Athletic at FB underscore film analysis on Twitter. What do you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for? Uh, I just wrote on Aaron Rodgers and how, you know, some questions that I have with how he's going to fit with the Jets and writing about Todd Monken, the Ravens offensive coordinator, and what, you know, how his presence is going to impact Lamar Jackson in that passing game. Well, Ted, I got to ask you, when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers, how in the hell did Aaron Rodgers and the Jets end up on Black Friday against the Dolphins and the Raiders not be involved in Black Friday at all? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even look at the schedule release just yet, so uh, I'm gonna have to take a look at that. But yeah, I mean, I I think the Ra- you know the Raiders are a rebuilding team, so I, you know I I wouldn't want to see them on too many primetime games next season. But um, you know, we'll see. Black Friday made all the sense in the world. <laughs> I'm just saying, it made all the sense in the world. Apparently, it only made sense to me, uh, and the NFL didn't care what I thought. So, Ted, thanks so much, man. Great stuff as always. We appreciate you. We'll talk soon. The pump they turned me on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ted Wynn right there again. He's got his piece out on The Athletic about Tyree Wilson, the first-round pick out of Texas Tech. Where Raiders Tyree Wilson must improve to reach sky-high potential. He goes then breaks down film uh, with uh, another guy, like I said, a, a defensive uh, assistant with Baltimore, Ryan Osborne, and then also uh, he became a defensive coordinator for Charlotte. Just really breaking down Tyree Wilson's technique, and if he's able to adapt to coaching and get coached up on a, on a higher level, what kind of player he can end up being. But uh, according to Ted, he feels like he's going to get off to a kind of a slow start or be brought along slowly. And look, in the long term, if he ends up being a stud player, that's all that really matters at the end of the day. You don't always, I guess, get selected to, you know, to be a starter. I want to see him out there early. I want to see him out there often. I think he could play multiple positions. But again, you don't want him out there and being a liability either. The player that he excited, that he excited me the most about was towards the end, Chris Smith, mm-hmm. where for me it feels like this is a guy that failed because, what, he's a little undersized, he doesn't test well. Sounds like a steal to me. It does. Deron Harmon is Deron Harmon. I've been saying this since day one. He feels like a Deron Harmon type guy, uh, just a real smart dude, understands the game, might not test great, but he plays at a high level. So uh, that's a guy that pretty excited about seeing what he could bring to the table as well. 3.46 is the time. We'll get back to your calls and texts. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Trey in Kansas City <laughs> just responded on the don'tbebroke.com text line. Great text. Great text. I was talking to, or we were talking to Ted Wynn from The Athletic in the last segment. 
And I mentioned the Black Friday game and how the Raiders aren't on it. And I thought that the NFL really missed. And Ted talked about the rebuilding team. And so Trey said, in other words, we suck too much to be on Black Friday. Like, just cut to the chase, right? I just don't think that makes sense. Not not what Ted's saying or what Trey's saying, but it just, again, I, I don't want to just spend the whole time, you know, being and moaning about, about the game, but it just made all the sense in the world. Like, I mean, one plus one always equals two, right? I mean, it, it, there's no there's no science project that could tell you one plus one don't equal two. It always equals two. Black Friday, Black Hole, Allegiant Stadium, Silver and Black, Raiders. I mean, just it all made too much sense to not have anything to do with that game. And it's Miami and the Jets? The Jets going to throw on them all-black uniforms, and they're going to say, here you go. That's not even an original uni. Like, if you look around the league, it's so funny. There's so many teams that have black in their uniforms now, but how many of them are original? Oh, just about none. Exactly. Outside of the Raiders and, you know, the Steelers. The Saints have, have black in it. Okay, that's fine. But, I mean, if you look at some of the teams... And I know I definitely sound like I'm crying, but I'm not. It just doesn't make any sense. Who else does the all-black, though? I think uh, the Ravens have an all-black. They're not even an original team. That's the Browns. I'm just going by teams that also have those all-black alternative uniforms I'm just telling you. I think the Saints maybe do all-black sometimes, too. But, that's again, that's not their original colors. Go back to the OGs, the original colors, right? Go back to that. Like, Okay, look at the AFC East. You got the Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, and Jets. None of those teams originally are black. I know the Jets have their, their black version of their jersey, but that's not original. The Ravens, the Bengals, okay, the Bengals have black. The Browns, the Steelers, they have black, obviously. Texans, Colts, Jaguars, Tennessee Titans, come on. Broncos, Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, makes all the sense of the world, Raiders. Cardinals, they adopted the black. Rams, we know they don't have it. The, the Niners, I don't know how many jerseys they have. They have a bazillion of them, but that's not original either. Their, their original colors were crimson and flamme. Look it up. I know that for a fact. Crimson and flamme. You tell you didn't sell, know that was a color. You exactly right. You sell that to your fan base. Hey, what's your color? Silver and black. What's yours? Crimson and flamme. Oh, get out of here. You can't even get your hair cut at the same shop as me, man. You gotta go down the street. Seattle. The Falcons. Okay, they got black. Carolina. They throw black in there. The Saints, we know. Buccaneers, okay. Bears, no. Lions, no. Packers, no. Vikings, no. Commanders, no. Eagles, they have some black in there. Not original. Giants, Cowboys. <sighs> I'm all worked up. <laughs> I spent all week defending my uh, decision on on why it was going to be a no-brainer for the Raiders to play on Black Friday, only for the NFL to say, yeah, Q, no, you are wrong. You've got to come into the show and start off and say DeMond is right. I don't know what was worse, them not putting the Raiders on Black Friday or me having to say DeMond was right at the top of the show. I wrote it on my rundown, too, right <laughs> at the top. I was wrong. What time did I say that at? You probably wrote the time down, too. Oh, no, I didn't have the time. It was definitely within the first five oh, minutes I of the know. show. I perked up. I was like, hey, I know you did. I know you did. Let's go out to the phone line. Who we got? Big Jose in San Jose. Big Jose, tell me something good from the 408. How you doing, my guy? How are both you and DeMond doing these days? Yeah, we're pretty good, man. We're pretty good. <laughs> That's great. Hey, you know, I was thinking just from a casual fan's point of view, and to your point about one and one being two, sometimes maybe the NFL thinks one and one is 11. Right? <laughs> things don't always you see them. Yeah. And, uh, and um, it seems to me ever since that Mark Davis, since the time Mark Davis got the owners to move to Las Vegas, 
and helped, got the help from the NFL securing the funding for the stadium and giving them the Super Bowl and the draft, then I figured now the NFL is taken a little bit back by having flexed out our primetime games, by not giving us some things that we thought we should have, like the obvious Black Friday game, <laughs> and you know, not giving us these things just because they said, hey, we already gave you some. Now we're going to take some for ourselves since we got since you got us paid already. You know, I think we've done enough for you, and that's kind of I feel like we're being looked at by the NFL. Yeah, it's a, hey, thank you for the call, Big Jose in San Jose. And you might be right, man. You might really be right. I don't really know the reasoning behind it. I just think it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I just think that it was so easy. But you know, sometimes guys, organizations, they they outthink themselves. They're too smart for their own good. And maybe that's the situation. Again, and I don't know who pointed out, DeMond, it might have been you, that the NFL don't care about Black Friday. They don't care about silver and black. They don't care about what makes sense. They care about what makes money. Got to get them dollars, Q. They want as many eyeballs as possible. Aaron Rodgers, he moves the needle. I mean, come on, Q. I mean, I get it. And it's the New York market. I get it. I Like, everything you're saying is not wrong at all. I get it. But it just, to me, it makes more sense. And look. No disrespect to Clay. I know Clay's a Lions fan, but the Lions have been on Thanksgiving forever. How much have they pushed the needle? Not forever. at all. Grandfathered None. in. None. They ain't pushed the needle, and they had Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders was a reason to tune in. Ain't nobody else on the Lions been. Nobody tuned in to see Herman Moore. No disrespect. He quit rather than wanted to play for them. That's what I'm saying. Alvin Johnson That's did too. The, yeah, exactly. That's how bad the organization <laughs> was, that they quit. They quit. <laughs> yeah, this ain't worth it. <laughs> and they still get a, a game every Thanksgiving. Every Thanksgiving. That's like the, that's the Lions fans Super Bowl. And, again, I get it. That's fine. Like I said, no disrespect to Clay. Happy birthday, by the way, Clay. <laughs> he caught strays on his birthday. <laughs> that's the answer for every Lion fan out there. <laughs> well, that's how it is. That's how it is. Like I had a guy in Mobile, Alabama, want to talk to me about the A's today because he knows. He's like, oh, well, Q's an A's fan. Let me talk to him about the A's. No, thanks. I'm good. I'll pass. If his name ain't Ricky Henderson and he ain't wearing 24, I'm not talking about him. Early condolences to the Tropicana, too. Oh, man, whatever. That stuff's never going to happen. That's never going to happen, man. The A's have no plan. There's no plan at all. You know what the A's did? They woke up one morning. They're like, hey, guess what? We're going to move to Vegas. Well, what's the plan? Well, I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to do it. Are you? Yeah, we want $500 million of, uh, of publicly funded money. No, you're not going to get that. Okay, we'll take three ninety-five. dollars No, you're not going to get that. Well, okay, hold on. Like, they have no clue. It's not going to happen. They have no clue what they're doing. And that just seems to seem to be the way they've ran that organization for how long now? Like, they have no clue. DeMond, me and you might as well run the A's. Right? I'll wake up, DeMond, how you feeling today? What do you think we should do with the team? Oh, I don't know. That's the best player. Why don't we get rid of him? All right, cool. Why not? I don't know. Ain't got nothing else better to do. Sure. That's what they're doing. They might as well let you, me, you, and Jared run the team. And you know Jared can't even make up a mind on how to spell his name. He got damn two E's in Jared. They don't even have an A and an E. He's got two E's. He couldn't even decide how to make his name. There is no A. That's what I'm saying. He's got two E's. He, I mean, we all know common sense tells you there's an A and an E. He's got two E's. He couldn't decide. That lets you know how much of a non-A he is. 358 is the time. We'll come back. We'll kick off hour number three. Nick Shook, NFL Network, will join the show. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.